Rumpelstiltskin always says that magic comes with a price. But for this price, you can get a nice piece of jewelry. Use code ONCEPOD for 10% off your first order at Unusual Magic Jewelry on Etsy. Click the link in the description. Hello, and welcome to the Once Again Podcast. We are your hosts, Ashley and Jason. In this episode, we will be looking at the 1948 film, Melody Time. In this series, we won't be doing a deep analysis of the film or giving a bunch of behind-the-scenes facts, but rather giving our impression of the overall film and the songs from the film. We'll also be giving a score to the film and ranking the songs. So grab some popcorn, sit back, and enjoy the episode. But before we dive into the episode proper, Ashley, it has been some time since we last recorded. Let's give some updates about what's been going on in our lives. Uh, Yeah, I was in Disney World for 10 days, almost two weeks, to be honest, by the time I got back. It was great and actually related to this episode because we're doing Melody Time. I, you know, got to eat at one of my favorite places, Pecos Bill Tall Tale Inn Cafe. They have the best fajitas. Very good. So I've I never been there. It is one of the best. The fajita platters there are immaculate. And if you ever go to Disney World, listeners, go eat at Pecos Bill. It is a gem. And I think overlooked by some of the other restaurants you can eat at. Go eat there. Also, there's a Widowmaker Burger right now, too. Oh. But for Halloween and the <laughs> 50th anniversary. Though it's not sold at Pecos Bill because... That would be logical, and Disney defies logic with most of its decisions. Makes sense. And <laughs> anything uh, specific from the trip you want to talk? Oh, also, um, people were asking when I posted that photo of the button that you had from down there. People were asking where they could get it. So I don't know if anyone's purchased it yet, but uh, they were asking where they could get the button. So. Uh, if you want to know where to get the bu- that button, you can get it from our merch shop over at Redbubble. It should be in our link tree in under the description of the youtube video or on our instagram you can find it there right so i'm going to dive into a little bit about myself i'm going to be moving soon i don't have all the full details of where it's happening or even really when it's going to be within the next two months but so i'm looking for a place and i just want to say it shouldn't affect the podcast schedule um the only thing that it's really been affecting is uploading to youtube because I have to take the time to first turn the audio from the podcast into an MP4 to upload to YouTube. And YouTube's upload speed is ridiculously slow. So let's say there's a 45-minute episode that I have to upload. It takes nearly four hours for it to upload to YouTube. And between work and just general stress, I haven't had the time to really upload to YouTube. And I apologize to anyone who was listening to us that way. We're still available everywhere on the audio links, you know, Spotify. We'll we'll get caught up too. We'll get caught up on YouTube at some point. Yeah, yeah. At a certain point, it's going to get caught up. And I also just want to note that starting in 2022, this film series is going to change. It's going to go to a bi-weekly schedule instead of a weekly one. Uh, This is also kind of done to help me out because I should be back in school in 2022. So you know, it's going to be a lot on my plate between work, school, and 
doing this podcast. So it's going to become a bi-weekly schedule for the uh, movie episodes. The TV show episodes that we discuss are still going to remain weekly for now. We'll see if that has to change too, but you know what's good about the movies being bi-weekly too is that gives us more room in case we do record something random at times as we sometimes do throw in some extra stuff that's true you're right all right and with all that out of the way i guess we can dive into the episode proper so melody time is a 1948 american hybrid musical film and the 10th theatrically released animated feature produced by walt disney It was released to theaters by RKO Pictures on May 27th, 1948. It is directed by Jack Keeney, Clyde Giomini, Hamilton Lusk, and Wilfred Jackson. It was written by Winston Hibbler, Harry Reeves, Ken Anderson, Erdman Penner, Homer Brightman, Ted Sears, Joe Rinaldi, Bill Cottrell, Jesse Marsh, Art Scott, Bob Moore, and John Walbridge. It was produced, of course, by Walt Disney. It was edited by Donald Holliday and Thomas Scott. And the music is by Elliot Daniel, Paul J. Smith, and Ken Darby. It has a runtime of 75 minutes. Its budget was 1.5 million or 17 million today. And the box office was around 2.56 million or 29.2 million today. The film consists of seven segments set to popular music from that time period and folk music, much like Make Mine Music before it. And I guess I should mention, I think we mentioned this on the previous episode, but we skipped over uh, Make Mine Music because it's not available on Disney Plus. Yeah, we're skipping, we're kind of trying to keep with what's easily available on Disney Plus. I don't know if it's available elsewhere. I doubt it just because it's Disney. So I'm pretty sure if it's not on Disney Plus, it's just not out there. Yeah. And if you, our listeners know somewhere that it's available, that's legal to watch, uh, let us know and we'll check it out. But Melody Time was referenced as a popular music version of Fantasia. And Melody Time is the fifth Disney package film and Disney Studios would not produce another package film until 1977's The Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh. Probably for the best. I don't really like these package films too much. Yeah. Besides the three caballeros, the rest of them are kind of, yeah. I could go without. I agree. I have that in my my overall review of it. The I'm glad we got through the package films. So according to Disney, the film's plot is as follows. In the grand tradition of Disney's greatest musical classics such as Fantasia, Melody Time features seven classic stories, each enhanced with high-spirited music and unforgettable characters. A feast for the eyes and ears, full of wit and charm. A delightful Disney classic with something for everyone. We start off, Disney Plus gives us uh, another warning about negative stereotypes. And we start off with a book that says Walt Disney Presents opening, and it is the opening credits to the film. So it kind of seems like some of our criticisms are growing with the movies. You know, like he's not only, it's opening credits here, it's not even just that he gives credit to the actors in it, it's opening credits. Yep. And, but I'm a sucker for that book opening, you know I am. (laughs) And we start off with the song Melody Time, and it's performed by Buddy Clark 
who also serves as the overall narrator or master of ceremonies, as he's credited. And I wrote down that it feels like a pop song from that time period and that it's fine. I give it a five out of 10. Three out of 10, it kind of just did nothing for me as I was listening. Like it wasn't very exciting to me. Like I know it's stereotypical for the time, but as a modern listener. Yeah, fair enough. It didn't bring me in in any way. And I don't, this is one of those movies where I don't remember ever watching it before. I don't have fond memories of any of these things. So it's just, I have nothing to go with here. Like I have no emotional value to this. Gotcha. So the first segment is called Once Upon a Wintertime, and this segment features Francis Langford singing the title song about two romantic young lovers on a winter day in December during the late 19th century. In the wintertime, a couple goes on a sleigh ride through the snow, while two rabbits and two bluebirds join them on their sleigh. Arriving for a stop, Joe, the man, takes his love interest, Jenny, the girl, to go ice skating with the other ice skaters. The ma- <laughs> My first note here was um, the male rabbit looking up Jenny's skirt and having his heart race from doing it made me laugh. Oh yeah, I had that too. It's too funny. Yeah, there was, there was quite a bit of adult humor in this, uh, not in this segment necessarily, but when we get to the final one, I thought there was yeah. quite, a, quite a lot of adult humor. Joe and Jenny go ice skating across the frozen lake as they fall in love. Skating deeper into the forest, Jenny then gets upset with Joe and leaves him. The female rabbit also gets upset with the male rabbit and leaves him. Joe wants to get Jenny's attention, but she refuses. And I wrote down Joe kicking up ice into Jenny's face, then laughing at her falling over. Did he think that was going to work out well for him? (laughs) Joe is a toxic boyfriend, if ever I've seen a toxic boyfriend. Yeah, you're not wrong. And also, you said lake, but like, weren't they ice skating on a river? Like the way the water was acting later on, it's a river more so than a lake. Yeah, you're right. Um, that was just in the summary Because my here. main yeah. note here in this entire thing was, why were these dummies just skating on a river? Of yeah. course the water's going to move and things are going to go awful. You know, it's interesting. You made me think of a story my one grandmother used to tell me. My grandmother is 89 years old, and she was telling me about when she was a young girl, there was this old man who was talking to her one time and told her about when he was young, they actually used to walk across um, the river that was right by my hometown, and they, like, because it would freeze over in wintertime, and they would walk across it to get to the other side, like to get to the other bank, because there were no bridges back then. Not that there were no bridges back then, there just weren't big bridges built where they had to walk. And he said, but now it doesn't freeze anymore. And my grandmother said, like, nowadays it barely even has ice in it in wintertime. And I was like, yeah, you're right. Like, climate change, boy. Um, See, even up by us, we have, because we, I live close to a canal. So they, (laughs) they put the ice booms up in the winter to keep the ice hells back and then release them in the spring. So we see a lot of ice, but it's all at once. Mm, That makes sense. So diving back into the plot, both Joe and Jenny disagree with each other uh, until Jenny does not notice a thin ice area. Jenny ignores the warning sign along with the rabbit's love interest until the male rabbit angrily smashes the ice to cause trouble. 
Joe and the boy rabbit notice their love interests are in danger, so the two attempt to rescue them. Jenny almost falls off, a, off of a waterfall, but the horses, squirrels, and bluebirds work together to rescue the two in danger. Reuniting Joe and Jenny together along with the rabbits, both fall in love as they ride on, the sleigh, on their sleigh together. Joe and Jenny bid a farewell to the woodland creatures as the two sleigh ride happily together. Like several other segments from these package films, Once Upon a Winter Time was later released theatrically as an individual short, in this case on September 17th, 1954. This is the one section I would say, I feel like I've seen this one before. Oh, I've like definitely this seen this. Yeah, like this particular package, I've seen. Not, I don't, like, I don't think I've seen Pecos Bill before or any mm. of the other ones, but I've definitely seen this one. But I think it's in one of the Christmas movies. Oh, I have that Because right. a lot of the Christmas movies have a lot of packaged things in them. Mm -hmm. So I think it's in one of those. Yep. That's my next note. Clips from the beginning and end of this short showing a horse-drawn sleigh ride are featured in Disney's Very Merry Christmas Songs, which is part of Disney's sing-along songs, as a background movie for the song Jingle Bells. You know what? That checks out because I, I had that one. So. All right. Um, so I wrote down for the segment score that for the most part, it is a cute little segment and it definitely has a December feel to it. However, most of the animation bothered me. For example, Jenny doesn't have a nose and the horses don't have eyes. Why? Yeah, it was a very softly done animation. Like everything was kind of very blobbed together almost in mm -hmm. awkward ways which is unusual because we've seen them do such great things with their line work and stuff that it's interesting that we don't get a lot of line work in this segment yeah agreed i gave the overall score a five out of ten and i guess i should mention for the most part with the exception of pecos bill all the songs from the film are just the title of the different segments yeah so the song here is Once Upon a Wintertime and is performed by Francis Longford. And it is fine, but nothing special. I also gave that a five out of 10. I gave the song a four out of 10. Like you said, it's not special. It's just, it's, it's okay. It's okay. And the segment, a five out of 10. It was, it was average. I liked it, but I have no interest in like watching. It's not something I'd gravitate towards watching again. Yeah, agreed. So moving right along. The next segment is called Bumble Boogie, and this segment features the story of a bumblebee named Bumble trying to escape an instrumental nightmare. Bumble tries to smell or rest on flowers, but the flowers end up attacking him. Fed up with all the flowers attacking him, he gets enraged and smashes the flowers that try to eat him, but their petals are made of piano keys and they take the form of a giant snake. After avoiding the snake by causing it to separate its keys, the piano keys form back into the same creature later, serving as a cage so Bumble won't escape. However, destroying the cage led to the piano keys in the form of butterflies surrounding him as Bumble tries to escape from the instrument frenzy. Bumble then avoids the trumpets and piano's hammers that try to hit him as he ends up on the piano keys falling off of a river. 
Having escaped, Bumble then leaps onto the piano keys, restoring the piano and ending the segment. The music for this animated segment is courtesy of Freddie Martin and his orchestra with Jack Fina playing the piano. And it is a swing jazz variant of Flight of the Bumblebee, which was one of the many pieces considered for inclusion in Fantasia. I wrote down that it's interesting and unique I like seeing what the music inspires and the animators, and I'll give the segment a 6.5 out of 10. Yeah, I, I can agree with that. The animation was really dynamic in this part, like did remind me a little bit of Fantasia, a little bit of some other things we've watched. It was colorful. I love the angry keyboard. I, I do love a lot of things going on here. And I would give it like a six out of 10. It was good. Again, I don't gravitate towards these things when I'm looking for things to watch, but it's nice to be reminded that like, this is how animation works sometimes. It's just, they give you some sounds and here you go, they animated this. I'm sure that's what happened here. Agreed. The next segment is The Legend of Johnny Appleseed. This is another one that I know I saw before seeing this film. And it features Dennis Day as the narrator, singer, and characters. And I wrote down another book opening, and the book features Paul Bunyan, John Henry, Davy Crockett, and John Chapman, aka Johnny Appleseed. Set in the year 1806, a young man named, named John Chapman, better known as Johnny Appleseed, harvests apples at his apple tree, and he thanks the Lord for his blessings. And this leads into the song Johnny Appleseed, performed by Dennis Day. I wrote, Evidently, the entire segment is considered one song, so I give it a 4 out of 10. The song itself is fine, but without the animation, it wouldn't hold my attention. It's really uh, considered one song. Yeah, I thought, because uh, like there's a brief part where like the pioneers are singing and everything like that, and I couldn't, yeah. I couldn't find any evidence of it being a different song. Like It's all considered one part. Mm, interesting. But yeah, so after thanking the Lord for his blessings... Moments later, Johnny sees a crowd of pioneers marching to look for new land in the Midwest. He fantasizes about joining them, but thinks himself too weak to make the journey. A miracle suddenly happens when his guardian angel appears in the form of a backwoodsman. The angel encourages Johnny to join the pioneers, but Johnny declines telling the angel that he does not have the strength but his angel tells him all he needs is his faith, courage, and a level head. I wrote down a note saying that the movie It's a Wonderful Life came out two years before this movie, and I was wondering if the Guardian Angel part was inspired from that film. Could be. Honestly, this whole segment feels kind of odd to me because of it's just a very religious segment. Oh, like, it's extremely. Overly pious to the point where it makes me a bit uncomfortable this segment just it's too much yeah yeah you have to think about that time period i know know, like watching it now though it does make me like oh yeah not a fan no what we're doing here yeah so johnny explains to the angel that all he knows about is apple trees which the angel reminds him of the many uses apples have Johnny is still reluctant since he does not have the required equipment to survive in the wilderness. The angel assures him that all he needs is his Bible, his bag of seeds, and a cooking pot, which he wears on his head. Convinced, Johnny begins his journey out west to grow apple trees on the great unknown. 
marching his way to the great unknown, Johnny found some soil for him to grow apple trees. The animals, including a grizzly bear and a skunk, then witnessed Johnny digging to grow apple trees in the great unknown. After accidentally knocking a stick down onto the skunk, it prepares to repel Johnny with its ability to spray at its enemies, but Johnny manages to befriend the skunk instead. And I wrote down, I love how all the other animals are afraid of the skunk. It made me laugh. Also, the skunk looks like he's Flower's idiot cousin. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> well, he does. Honestly, I just like that he's petting all the animals. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, he befriend even. Uh, I guess that was a cougar, because uh, <laughs> it was way too large to just be a bobcat. But yeah, I don't know. Soon, Johnny befriends other animals, and as the seasons pass, the apple trees begin growing across the great unknown. Later, more pioneer. Which this part too bothered me because like. It's supposed to be seen as a good thing that the pioneers are showing up and building and everything, but I'm kind of like, oh, look at all that forest being torn down, like to put up their houses and everything. But yeah, this was, it was very odd. Like, yeah, we're celebrating that he's growing apple trees, but then we're taking down a lot of trees. Mm -hmm. Later, more pioneers arrive across the new land. Thanks to Johnny Chapman's growing of apple trees across the great unknown. Johnny, now older and bearded gives all the pioneers a big heap of happiness as he plans to walk across the whole frontier for 40 years as he plants more apple trees across the great unknown. After 40 years of walking and planting, Johnny spreads his shadow across the whole frontier. Meanwhile, Johnny's angel suddenly arrives and he tells the angel version of Johnny to come with him. After the angel of Johnny himself says that he can't go with him because he wants to grow more apple trees, his angel explains to him that he needs him to go along with him to grow apple trees in heaven. Yo, heaven needs some apples, man. You gotta come up here. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, there's a lot of religious undertones in this segment and not even undertones. Not even just just undertones. It is very like abrasive how direct they are well even just walking for the 40 years and everything like that you know i don't know i i wrote down it's a fine segment you know i'm a sucker for that book opening so i gave it a five out of ten like i said previously the song itself wouldn't hold my attention but i enjoy the animation four out of ten didn't hate it but like i didn't love it either like it's it's not exciting also, I don't I don't like when things get abrasively pious and religious on me. It's especially when it's meant for kids. Like this is meant for kids. It's too much. Yeah. The next segment is called Little Toot. And this segment is based on the story of Little Toot by Hardy Gramatki, in which the title protagonist, a small tugboat in New York City, wanted to be just like his father big toot but couldn't seem to stay out of trouble the andrews sisters provide the vocals a clip from little toot features briefly in the friendship song on disney sing-along songs volume friend like me it also features in sing me a story with bell and so why are we putting little toot in anything this was not a good no you didn't think little toot was cute or anything 
I felt bad for Little Toot. Yeah, fair enough. Also, his name is Little Toot. He needs a better name. His father's name is Big Toot. (laughs) (laughs) His father's a a grown tugboat. Like, while his father, Big Toot, works hard towing ships through the port and out to sea, Little Toot prefers to play about, but carelessly annoys the big ocean liners with his giant figure eights and smoke balls. After nearly baby, no thoughts. Yeah, no. After nearly getting into trouble with the harbor patrol, Little Toot resolves to be more responsible like his father. He tries to help his father with an ocean liner by pushing it on its rudder, but causes it to spin out of control and eventually crash into the city. Because of this, he is escorted in chains outside the harbor limits by harbor patrol as a punishment for his actions. Tearfully, he watches other boats shun him as a criminal and his father's demoted to pulling garbage barges in disgrace. He's a little baby, and these people put him in boat jail, essentially, and his poor father, who had nothing to do with it, is now pulling garbage. Yeah, I'll tell you, I love the one ocean liner as Little Toots being pulled by, like it turns its head up at him, at him and turns around, and then it turns its up, or I guess I should... I, it, it rear end up at him like it's the like butt of the ship <laughs> yeah the butt of the ship that, that has a name but I, it's not the stern i believe but uh you know i guess it gives him a stern look sorry but <laughs> i quit the podcast again again I'm out. <laughs> yeah so 12 miles outside of the harbor little toot is left alone as the sky darkens the sea grows rougher he is taunted by menacing bell buoys and ignored by a lighthouse, which the lighthouse curving its light to go around him, that actually cracked me up. Like, it just makes this perfect Poor little baby. curve. Also, those buoys are terrifying. Oh, yeah, very scary. Agreed. A sudden storm breaks out around him, and to his surprise, he discovers a ship in distress on the rocks. Thinking quickly, he puffs a smoky SOS signal back to the harbor. With Big Toot in the lead, the other tugboats race to the rescue, but cannot make headway against the rough seas. Little Toot, meanwhile, makes it to the stuck liner, which tosses him a tow line. At first, he cannot pull the ship out, but some lightning bolts shock him enough that he pulls the liner free. Trying to rush to safety, Little Toot is engulfed by one final wave as the storm ends. All seems lost to the little tugboat, but miraculously, Little Toot emerges, coughing water from his smokestack. To much celebration, he then tows the liner into port all by himself, with Big Toot proudly watching. So I I wrote down this is probably the quote-unquote cutest segment so far. And it feels like the most classic Disney, in my opinion. And I gave it a 5.5 out of 10. And the song, Little Two, while performed well by the Andrews sisters, isn't my favorite. I gave it a 3 out of 10. Yeah, I gave the song a 4 out of 10. It wasn't that great. And you're right. This was a very cute segment and did feel classic-y Disney. I think it's because it had a lot of weird, terrifying elements, too, which a lot of these early films are like terror beings in their own right yeah i gave it a five out of ten okay the next segment is called trees 
and this segment features a recitation of the 1913 poem Trees by Joyce Kilmer and music by Oscar Rosbach, performed by Fred Waring and the Pennsylvanians. Hey! With the lyrical settings accompanying animation of scenes uh, seen through the changing of the seasons. To preserve the look of the original story sketches, artist Ken O'Connor came up with the idea of using frosted cells and rendering the pastel images right onto the cell. Before being photographed, each cell was laminated in clear lacquer to protect the pastels. The result was a look that had never been, been seen in animation before. So there's not really much to say here. I wrote down the lyrics to the song, or I guess the lyrics to the poem. I don't know if you really want to want to go into them, but once again, it has religious themes to it. You know. Well, yeah. Even the at the end, the cross shows up on the trees. And... Right. So I wrote I wrote down for my segment. Is there anything else you want to say before I do my segment score? Not or... really. I don't okay. have a lot of notes for this. Okay. It was not my cup of tea. Well, I wrote down, it has beautiful animation and the music is impressive as well. I get what they were going for here. Something more like Fantasia, a triumph of music and animation. It feels slightly out of place in this film. However, I still give it a seven out of 10. Not so much that I liked it, but just because of what they were doing here, I can appreciate what they were trying to do. And it may not be the most entertaining segment, but it is the most impressive in my opinion. And I wrote that the song Trees, I give a four out of 10, a little long and slightly boring because they broke up the poem into two parts. Yeah, I, I gave it a three out of 10, the song. And honestly, the overall score is a four out of 10 for me. And it's not, it's not that it's bad. It's just, you're right, it's out of place. And because of that, it just feels like it doesn't belong here and it's in the wrong movie altogether. Yeah. And I, I just wanted it to end. And I think that's the problem when I'm watching something and my immediate reaction is I want this thing to end now. Mm -hmm. that's and it definitely feels like if this was in Fantasia, it would have been in the right spot. And mm -hmm. that's because Fantasia also has a lot of segments that are way too long. And but that's that that's what Fantasia is. That's not what this is. And it's just not in the right space. That's uh, in my, like, not that I did much behind the scenes research, but I came across that Walt Disney wanted this movie to really be Fantasia, but with popular music uh, of the time period. So like that. I can that, see that. Yeah. I can see that being the goal. I, I think this misses the mark a little bit. Mm -hmm. just because I think that everything else is so like upbeat for the most part like everything else is a bit more elevated and upbeat instead of your classical music like besides the even the bumblebee one was jazzy so agreed so moving right along we move to the next segment and I imagine this is probably your favorite segment from the film it's called incorrect no oh wow um blame it on the samba this segment has Donald Duck and Jose Carioca meeting the Araquan bird voiced by Pinto Colvig, which is interesting. Like I didn't notice until I was putting my notes together on this, that Donald and Jose don't talk at all in this segment. Like they don't even make bird noises. Um, no. 
but the Araquan bird is voiced technically by uh, Pinto Kolvig. And he introduces them to the pleasures of the samba. The accompanying music, it is a 1914 polka by Ernesto Nazareth, fitted with English lyrics. The dining sisters provide the vocals while organist Ethel Smith appears in a live action role. Donald and Jose are walking sadly when they enter a full string cafe to get the rhythm of the samba as the Aquarian bird greets the sad couple with the rhythm of the samba, Donald and Jose get used to dancing with the samba, just as the Aquarian bird gives them the beat of the samba. Making a glass of magic, Donald and Jose swim around in the glass where they encounter Ethel Smith playing an organ, just as Donald and Jose dance to Ethel playing her organ, to which the two have fun dancing with her. Back at the tropical forest, the Aquarian bird and Ethel Smith perform the rhythm of the samba around them, just as Donald and Jose dance to the upbeat rhythm of the samba. Donald and Jose continue dancing with Ethel Smith, and the Aquarian bird closes the cafe, ending the segment. I have a bit of trivia on this before we go into the segment scores. The Brazilian dubbing of this film after the year 1990 actually has the lyrics of the song translated from Eng the English lyrics rather than the original lyrics from the song. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Weird choice. Yeah. And I don't know if there's anything you want to say before we go into the segment scores, but. Uh, no, I didn't. anything I have okay. to say, say in my segment score. Okay. I uh, wrote that this is the most high energy segment of the film so far. I imagine anyone who is a fan of the three Cabaneros enjoyed this part. And I personally enjoyed how the Aquarian bird is a fourth wall breaking character. He interacts with the screen and quote unquote talks to the audience. And I gave this segment a 6.5 out of 10. And the song is fine, but it's not making a playlist for me. A five out of 10. Uh, I will say I did. I mean, obviously I love the segment because I do love three copy years. I, and I do like the Eric Wombard. I do like that he breaks the fourth wall. I love that he gets up in antics no matter what he's doing. And I give the segment a six out of 10. It's also, it's full of color, full high energy. And I give the song a five out of 10. Maybe it's the animation, but the song just feels like it has more life in it compared to some of the other segments we've already watched, especially after the last segment. This is mm -hmm. like full of life and fun. Which is, you know, what I'm looking for out of Disney song and out of Disney animation. Agreed. So that moves us on to the final segment of the film, Pecos Bill. And the segment is about Texas's famous hero, Pecos Bill. He was raised by coyotes and later became the biggest and best cowboy that ever lived. It also features his horse, Widowmaker, and recounts the ill-fated romance between Bill and a beautiful cowgirl named Slewfoot Sue, whom he falls in love with at first sight. This retelling of the story features Roy Rogers, Bob Nolan, Trigger, the world's smartest horse, and the sons of the pioneers telling the story to Bobby Driscoll and Lorna Patton in a live action frame story. This segment was later edited on the film's NTSC video release 
to remove all the parts with Bill smoking a cigarette and almost the entire tornado scene with Bill rolling cigarettes and, a, and using a lightning bolt for his lighter. Both the cigarette and tornado scene were restored to the film when it was released on Disney+. Plus. With a total of 22 minutes, it is the longest segment of the film. That's fascinating that they put it back in for Disney Plus after taking it out once already. Yeah, because we have, we're going to be talking about something later. And unfortunately for our listeners, uh, it's going to come out in a couple weeks. But there's a film that's on Disney Plus that they took something out that really ticks me off. Um, so stay tuned for when we get to that. Um, I'm just like... I'm surprised they put that back in. So I guess because, you know, in this day and age, like I see that scene and I just go, it's weird, but like, it's funny. I appreciated it. You know, I, I don't really have a problem. I don't think smoking in movies inspires kids to smoke. I don't think it's as big of a thing anymore, especially with kids vaping now, not so much smoking, but yeah. vaping. I don't think the like line of sight is the same anymore like everybody knows smoking is bad what we have a problem with more so is people not understanding that vaping is also bad i don't think what kids watch on tv inspires them to do anything honestly i grew up in the time period you know where mortal Kombat was causing all the kids to be violent and the wwe was causing all the kids to be violent and it was like yeah if you're an idiot like you know like doing those things are going to get you hurt and, you know, maybe those people shouldn't continue to be in the gene pool, in my opinion. You know, <laughs> but, honestly, when we see things like this, too, it's like it's animated smoking and right. like it's in a funny way, like a very impossible way that I can't imagine kids are like, yeah, I'm going to go out and do that. Like nobody really rolls their own cigarettes anymore. Nobody's lighting a cigarette with a lightning bolt. Like yeah. we're not doing those things. I understand not having cigarette commercials. I agree with that 100%. I don't think there should be cigarette commercials, especially you look back and you had Fred Flintstone advertising cigarettes back in the day, like him and Barney. I forget what it was, whether it was Marlboro's or <clears throat> whatever it was, not to advertise Marlboro, but like Fred and Barney were smoking cigarettes and Fred was like, oh, I smoke, you know, whatever, Newports or Marlboro's or whatever it was. I, I, I don't know. And well, even you had things like the Marlboro Man and the Camel. Like right characters that represented joe cool their smoking companies or, yeah. yeah joe camel joe cool joe, yeah. joe cool is snoopy <laughs> but yeah I, re I remember joe camel um, you know i never wanted to be a camel so he didn't inspire me now the marlboro man <laughs> the marlboro man is cool but that's because cowboys are cool so you know i, I all right I, we are way off topic sorry so. all right i'm sorry bring um, it back in here we have the song Blue Shadows on the Trail, performed by Roy Rogers and the Sons of the Pioneers. And I actually knew this song outside of the film. Uh, it's in several other movies, most notably The Three Amigos, where it is sung by Chevy Chase, Steve Martin, and Martin Short. And while it doesn't make a Disney playlist for me, it actually made my Fallout playlist because it reminds me of songs from the game Fallout New Vegas. I do really, I did really like this song. I had mm. never heard it Surprisingly, I've never seen Pecos Bill, despite me saying at the beginning of the podcast that I love Pecos Bill, like a restaurant in Disney World. Like, mm. I had no clue where that was from. So I'm glad to watch this and understand why there's just a random Pecos Bill place in Frontierland. You know, I, I know I've seen it before. I don't know where. I had the Disney Channel growing up as a kid. So 
maybe it was on on that at a certain time or something because I do remember the Disney Channel didn't really have commercials so they would run weird like when it when things got off time like things weren't starting at the correct time they would run little segments to fill in the gaps yeah but anyway this segment is a retelling of the famous roughest toughest cowboy in the west Pecos Bill and his trusty steed Widowmaker Roy Rogers and the Sons of the Pioneers explain to the two children at their campsite why the coyotes howl at night and end up retelling the story of Pecos Bill. The segment explains the life of Pecos and how some of the West's famous landmarks and features have come to be because of Pecos Bill. And I wrote down here the map of the U.S. that Roy Rogers draws is how Texans actually view the United States. Uh, Texas is gigantic and all the rest of the states are jammed in around it. I believe that's how Texans actually view the United States. No offense, Texans. (laughs) They know what I'm talking about. Um, (laughs) The animated segment starts off with the origin of Pecos Bill being raised among coyotes. He learns to be better than any animal at their skill sets. He's faster, stronger, and tougher than any animal in the West. One day, young Bill comes upon a young horse being attacked by vultures. Bill rescues the horse, and the two grow up best friends. The film then shows off some of Pecos Bill's accomplishments. And I wrote down that it's entertaining, this part, but the Native American part, cheese. Yeah, was not a fan of him shooting at them or doing any of that. Mm, Nope. The song Pecos Bill is performed by Roy Rogers and the Sons of the Pioneers. And I wrote down that it's fine and it sounds like a classic Disney song. And I gave it a five out of 10. I gave it a six out of 10 because I do like that it was a classic Disney song here. Okay. And I enjoyed it. And like I said, it reminds me of my favorite food. So (laughs) I get excited. There you go. The feature takes a turn when Pecos falls in love with Slewfoot Sue. This makes Bill's horse Widowmaker feel abandoned and jealous of Sue for stealing his best friend. And I wrote down here the line, all of Slewfoot Sue's charms revealed to view. And that's while she was riding a giant catfish and her, cur- her skirt kept flying up, showing her underwear. And I put that, that's pretty adult for Disney, even by today's standards. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I just want to say her riding a giant catfish. She's just as weird as, as oh, this Bill. Yeah. That's why he's into her. She's freaking weird too even later on when she's riding Widowmaker and he's violently bucking her she's putting her makeup on while she's like she's not bothered by it at all they're both freaking crazy you know you know we done didn't really say anything but like a lot of that Pico's Bill song is being like ah yes and then he just brought the Gulf of Mexico (laughs) he made the Gulf of Mexico he did that I was going to fought a tornado like yeah I was, I was going to list all of the things that they show, but when it had the Native American part, I was like, no, never mind. No more, no accomplishments for Pecos Bill, in my opinion. But moving right along, Bill and Sue plan on getting married, but she insists on wearing a bustle on her backside made from metal and springs. She also wants to get married while riding Widowmaker, which makes Widowmaker more angry than ever. This also kind of had... Uh, adult themes to it you know when she's getting ready and everything and showing off her bustle sue expertly rides the violently bucking horse 
until the bouncing in her bustle launches her off of Widowmaker sky high, with each bounce launching her higher and higher. The town thought all was lost for Sue, but Pecos didn't sweat it, for he, the greatest champion of the lasso, was going to effortlessly catch her with his trusty rope, but shockingly, he missed. No one who witnessed it could figure out how it happened, but the viewers can see that Widowmaker had purposely stepped on Pecos's rope, preventing it from reaching Sue. With Pecos unable to arrest her ascent, Sue kept going higher and higher until she finally landed on the moon, and that's where she stayed. The narrator then relates that Pecos left civilization and would howl at the moon every night, with his coyote brothers joining him in sympathy. This is the reason why, to this very day, coyotes howl at the moon that way. The segment and the film ends with Roy Rogers and the Pioneers reprising the song Blue Shadows on the Trail. And I forgot to give that song a score before, so um, I'll just say a 9 out of 10. I really enjoy that song. Yeah, I think I gave that song like a 7 out of 10. It was very good. Okay. So for the segment, I wrote down that it is the longest segment for sure. And the only one with two songs. Some of the humor holds up, generally anything involving the animals, but the other quote unquote jokes, like how the painted mountains got that way, are problematic. I enjoyed the music and most of the animation, and I gave the segment a four out of 10. My problem is I really like the songs, and I do really like the animation. And it's funny that they took out all the smoking stuff at one point when there is a lot of other stuff they should have taken out and just yoinked it right out and changed it because it could be very good I think Mm -hmm. if you take out a lot of the more transgressive things that don't work for today's audience and we're not good then either to be honest if you take all that out it's great and I would give it a five out of ten like I wish that all wasn't there because it would be better then it would be like a six or seven for me if none of that was there I agree with you the segment would be, and literally, it's just the part about the Native Americans. They just have to cut that one thing, and the segment would be yeah. perfectly fine. Like, I think if they redid this today and made it, like, it's a weird package segment today, it would be so much better. Like, yeah. I, like the, I like the humor. I like the idea. I like the idea of him just, like, you know, making the Gulf of Mexico. Like, oh, that's funny to me. It's yeah. great. It's just the little bits that make it bad and uncomfortable, and that's unfortunate. Agreed. So I'm going to move into my overall score. To be honest, I'm very glad that we're done with the package films for some time, as I said previously. I have enjoyed different segments throughout them all, but I'm looking forward to having a more complete narrative story going forward. There were parts of this film I enjoyed and parts I didn't. If I had seen it in 1948 when it originally came out, I probably would have given it a higher score. But going by today's standards, I give it a 4 out of 10. Even I would say like, and I liked some of the later segments a lot, but I don't, I think the problem with these package films is they don't really, like, they aren't judged by what their best segments are. They're judged by what their worst segments are. And a lot of these package films have really bad segments that are just not interesting. They just feel like, why is this here? This is in the wrong film. And I would give it a four out of 10 as well. Mm-hmm. This has been the Once Again Podcast. Any questions, comments, or critiques can be addressed to our email at onceagainpod at gmail.com. 
Follow us on our social media accounts, Once Again Pod, all one word, on Twitter and Instagram. If you would like to contribute to the podcast, we have several tiers available on patreon.com slash onceagainpod. As always, a like, follow, or share would be greatly appreciated. Thank you, and have a wonderful day. And remember, we will entertain you. We will always entertain you. Thank you.